0: Thank you so much for that. Open your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is uh, often a question mark that we have as Christians about this, um, this group of people here. We're, we're told in here about Cephas, that's Peter, and the twelve, we know who they are. Then it says 500 brethren at once. And the question is, who were these 500 so, we'll have a word of prayer and we'll try and answer that question today. Being an Adopt-a-Missionary Sunday, it's appropriate that we talk a little bit about missions. So let's pray now at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you and ask for special grace to, to understand this portion of the Bible. Father, it's possible there may be someone here today who's not yet been born again they don't realize that they need to be born again perhaps they they're not aware that their sin has effectively separated them from you lord i pray for them and i know you love them you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance and i i ask father that you would grant to them the the faith and open the eyes of their understanding lord i know that this group of 500 of whom we are going to speak, that these all, at some point, came to, to know Christ as personal Savior. And I think most all of us here today can claim that, that same story. There was a time when we were not saved, and then there was a time when we came to know Jesus as our Savior. So please increase us now in faith and love. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. Well, we're told once again in verse 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren. Now, as Paul at once, and as Paul was writing 1 Corinthians chapter 15 here, he was thinking of these people because I think that he, uh, if he didn't know them all personally by name, he knew kind of all where they were. And he said, um, of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. And so in around 58 AD, give or take, something like that, when he wrote 1 Corinthians, most of those people were still alive. Some had gone home to heaven. But who were they? Well, the first answer is they were ordinary people. They were people like you and I, uh, male and female. And I think that um, they were uh, just as common as can be. Now, um, we, we have here, I think, in these verses 5 to 8, I, we have about six um, people or groups mentioned here. Six of them, starting with Cephas and ending in verse 8 with uh, the Apostle Paul. Last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, speaking of himself. But, This group of 500, hmm, when did they see Jesus? And that's a question mark that we have. We can go back to the Gospels and we can find when the uh, apostles all saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And we can go into the book of Acts and we can see when the apostle Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that's when he saw Jesus. But it's this, this 500, what do you do with that? I believe that they did see Jesus all at once, and I think that the only time and the only place they could have seen Jesus is back in Matthew 28. If you would turn there with me. Matthew chapter 28. Now, the Lord met with the... um, the disciples there uh, over a a period of um, a couple of weeks and um, we have uh, his appearing here in uh, Matthew 28 and verse 16 then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee and Galilee was about 70 miles away from Jerusalem. And at walking speed, it could have been a two-day trip to get there. I suppose it could be done in one day, sure, but 70 miles. And there were a number of them moving together as a group, and so that means that they go a little slower. But they went from Jerusalem all the way up north into Galilee, into a mountain, Jesus uh, tells us here in the verse 16, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. They worshipped him. Then it says, but some doubted. Now, right off the bat, you might think, oh, that's got to be Thomas, doubting Thomas. However, it wasn't Thomas because Thomas had already seen the Lord. His seeing of Jesus happened about a week later after Jesus rose from the grave. Because uh, he rose from the dead on a Sunday morning. He met with the, di- the other uh, the disciples. There was only 11 of them at that time because Judas went and hung himself. So there was 11 of them. Thomas wasn't there. He didn't go to church that Sunday. So he didn't get to see Jesus. Anyhow, a week goes by and then Jesus appears to them again. This time Thomas is there. And you remember doubting Thomas? Well, I don't think it's him. I'll only believe if I can put my finger in the print, you know, of his nail, uh, on his hands there where the, the nails went. And so Jesus said, well, here's my hands. and Here's my, my side, my riven side. Put your hand there and, and be not faithless but believing. It's sad, but some people, they think, I'll only believe, you know, if I, if I see this or that. There are people in the world who are of this mindset, Oh, you talk about God, they say. Oh, yeah, your belief in God. Well, I'll believe God. I'll believe in God when he can make that chair rise, through, fly through the air, and set down over here. Uh, that's when I'll believe in God. You, you run into people like that once in a while. The truth is that if God did make that chair rise and float across the air and sit down there, they wouldn't believe in God. The first thing they'd say is it's a trick. That's the first thing they would say. It's a trick. So they themselves don't even believe it. So I think that you have to read the Bible and God has to give you faith. Otherwise, you can sit back and condemn believers all you want until the day you die and go to hell. You need faith and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I hope you're reading your Bible. I really do. I really hope you're reading your Bible because you know, you're a little older now than you were last week means there's less of life left for you. It's quite possible, isn't it? That if if we're still here uh, a year from now, that maybe somebody won't be. Maybe someone will be dead. Maybe in the next six months, the next six days, we don't know. We have no guarantees whatsoever. That's why it's important that we know the Lord, that we accept the Lord as our Savior, and we know that there's a home in heaven for us. Very important, folks. Well, Thomas was not the one who doubted. And the other uh, 10 disciples, because 10 and plus Thomas makes 11, they didn't do any doubting, but someone here doubted. I suggest to you that this is where some of the 500 came in. This is the only place that the 500 could have seen Jesus. It wasn't just only those 11. It was the 11 plus a bunch more. Um, think about this. You've got the 11 disciples and you've got 500 other believers all standing there. And Jesus says to them all, well, let's go back to verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so who was Jesus talking to? Well, obviously, he was talking to the 11 apostles, right? Yes. You can nod at me. That's all right. Or you can talk to me. He was talking to the 11 apostles disciples but guess who else was standing there that day it was the 500 the 500 heard these very same words the 11 heard the words and the 500 heard the very same words now to whom does the great commission apply The Great Commission is right here to go into all the world and teach all nations, get them saved, get them baptized, teach them all these things. That's the Great Commission. To whom does the Great Commission apply? Well, it certainly applied to the apostles, didn't it? If you were one of the apostles, it would have applied to you, right? And the 500. The 500 were there listening to the very same words the apostles were listening to. And so the 500, and I think that it was a mixture of men and women, they were all standing there, and they were hearing Jesus say to all of them, Go, all of you, into all of the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. Let them know. Let everybody know. Now, the question is, if you were living 2,000 years ago, and you heard that Jesus was going to be in Galilee, would you have gone? Would you have gone to see Jesus? I ask you this question. Would you? Are you interested in seeing Jesus? Would you have gone to see Jesus? It might have meant a journey of two days. Or maybe if you were in the area of Galilee, maybe it would just be an hour or two. A small journey. But whether it be two hours or two days... Would you have gone to see Jesus if you were living back then? And you heard he's going to be making one more appearance and it's going to be on a mountain in Galilee. Others are going, do you want to go along? What would you do? What would be your answer? Would it be a yes or would it be a no? I kind of think that if you're saved, if you're born again, you'd say, oh, I want to be there. I want to see my Savior. I want to see Jesus. I want to get one last look at Jesus. Or for us here, it would be the first look, wouldn't it? But I think that if you're born again, if you're saved, it wouldn't even be a question. You know, if I hadn't seen my wife for a long time, and my wife was going to be somewhere, guess where I'd want to be? Does that make sense? Is it normal that a husband should want to see his wife? Is that normal or abnormal? Normal. How about a wife? Is it normal that she should want to see her husband? Yes. Yes. And is it normal that a born again Christian should want to see Jesus? Yes or no? I think it's safe to assume that if any of us here had been living 2,000 years ago and we heard that Jesus was going to be on a certain mountain in Galilee, we'd go be it two hours or two days, two minutes, two weeks, we'd go. We'd want to be there. We'd want to see Jesus. Well, that's a good. I'm glad. But the thing is, if you went, you would also have heard His words. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Is that? Is We're standing there 2,000 years ago, right? None of us. It's 2,000 years gone by. Here we are in 2020. Phew! We're nowhere near that part of the world. In time or place, we're far, far removed. But does the Great Commission still apply to us? That's the question. Well, if you had been living back then, and if you would have gone to see Jesus then yes, the Great Commission would apply to you. But pastor, we weren't living back then. I know, but other people were. And I believe they stood in our place. They stood there in our place. Because if we had lived back then, we would have gone. But we don't have that opportunity. But others did. And I think they stood in our place. And I think the answer is yes. If you're here and you're saved... Those very words of Jesus apply to your heart, my friend. You will never escape them. One day, you're going to be in heaven, aren't you? If you're born again, you're going to stand before Jesus, won't you? I hope so. Because if you're not saved, it means you're lost. And if you're not saved and on your way to heaven, it means you're lost and on your way to hell. But if you're saved, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before Jesus. And every one of us will be held responsible for the Great Commission. You say, but wait a minute, time out, Pastor. God hasn't called me to be a missionary. Ah, my friend, God hasn't called me to be a missionary either. But yet I'm involved. You don't have to be a missionary to be involved in missions. Those 500 brethren, they weren't all called to be missionaries, as we understand the word missionary. But they were all involved, helping with missions. That's the secret. There's not many pastors in the church, are there? Compared to people, we got way more people than we have pastors. Isn't that right? Can you? We have four pastors. You imagine if we had 200 pastors and four people. What kind of a church would that be? Huh? 200 of us up here on the platform and four of you sitting down there. That'd be a pretty odd-looking church, wouldn't it? But we have the other way around. We have four pastors and we have 200 people. All right. You can be involved in the ministry by helping and supporting the pastors. You can be involved in missions by helping and supporting missionaries. You don't have to get on a plane and go halfway around the world you can be right here and you can be involved with missions. And that's very important because God really honestly will. He'll take us to task when we get to heaven. If we're not involved with missions, he'll say, why weren't you? And what are we going to say? Well, I didn't think it applied to me. Well, that's why I had my under shepherd, your pastor, preach that message there on Sunday, July uh, J- January 12th, about who were the 500 so that you know. Now you know. Who are the 500? Well, in spirit, that's us. That's us. We're not apostles. There were only the the 12 apostles. That's it. But look at all the other believers. That's where we fit in. And so by proxy, they were standing uh, in our place. You know, it all started with one church in Jerusalem. You know that. The worldwide Christian endeavors. There's the Christianity just about everywhere in the world now. It all started with one church. But how did they take the gospel into all of the world? What Jesus told them was an impossible commandment, an impossible task, impossible job. And that's why he gave them the power to do it. And look at verse uh, 18. Here's the power to do the job. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now that tells us that Jesus has all power in heaven with the Father. He's got all power on earth with men. And we need to take advantage of that, folks. That's where our prayer closets come in. You can do more good in your prayer closet than you can outside buzzing around without it. You need your prayer closet. For a Christian to not have a prayer closet It's almost like a man to marry a woman and then never live with her. And he goes and buzzes all around the world and leaves her at home. You need to meet with God every day. Every morning you ought to take the time, make the time, break some other appointment in order to keep your appointment with God. It's very important you do that. Important that we do a few things, very important. In fact, tonight, I hope you come tonight, we're going to be talking a, a very interesting subject about um, how it is we need certain things in our lives. That's going to be tonight. But I find um, in the book of Acts that the uh, church got so big in Jerusalem and then God oof, brought persecution to send them all over the, the area and he scattered them around Judea and Samaria. Philip went to Samaria, something like 40 miles from Jerusalem. Remember, it all started in Jerusalem. Peter went to Caesarea, 50 miles or so from Jerusalem on the coast. In Acts chapter 11, we find that some of those believers went as far as Antioch. That's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And then um, uh, finally, Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and others, they went to the Gentile world, thousands and thousands of miles from Jerusalem. Now the question, we say that missions is a command for the millions of churches worldwide but what if this church our church grace baptist church were the only church in the world what if there was no other churches america had no churches the rest of canada outside of surrey had no churches none whatsoever all of africa the continent of africa no churches all of asia the continent of asia australia new zealand all throughout um, uh, all of the the countries in the north and the the south and so on, no churches, no churches at all in a world of seven and a half billion people. There's only one church in the world. You want to go to church? Where's church? It's in Surrey, British Columbia. Where's that? Get out your map. Get out your Google. Find it. Surrey, British Columbia. If you want to go to church, there's only one church in the world, and that's over in Surrey, British Columbia. What if that were our situ- situation? No other churches. Would the Great Commission still apply to us? Would those words of Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel still be true? Would it apply to us? I think so. Wow, you say, that's impossible. How can one church reach seven and a half billion people? Well, the answer is, I don't know. But God does. And it has to be done in His power. Boy, I tell you, If this were true, GBC, Grace Baptist Church, is really going to need some serious systematic plan to get the gospel into all the world. I praise God that there are hundreds of thousands of other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches around the world. I, I believe that. But, man, we're still going to need to get our act together. If we're going to do what Jesus said to do, we're going to have to think seriously about this city Pictured on the map over here on the wall, because that's kind of our Jerusalem. There are some 600,000 people that live in Surrey, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands that have yet to hear the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the fact that their sin can be forgiven through Jesus. They can have eternal life as a gift, not as a reward, but as a gift, and it comes through receiving a person, Jesus Christ. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Not lighting candles or saying Hail Marys or any of that. It comes from receiving a actual person, Jesus, into our heart and life. That is how we get to heaven. Can we make that message known to the city of Surrey? Well, that's why God put us here. But well, what about the rest of the world? That's where missionaries come in. Hallelujah for the missionaries. There's lots of them. God is calling men and women. We need to get behind them and support them. It's important that every Christian realize that he or she has a responsibility to help get the gospel into all of the world. The 500 here in 1 Corinthians 15 prove that the Great Commission has been given to us because we would have been there had we lived back then. We couldn't all be apostles. If we lived back in Jesus' day, we couldn't all volunteer to be apostles. We we couldn't do it because Jesus only wanted 12. But we could all go and see Jesus and stand there on that day and see him and hear him, his words telling us to go everywhere. And so the 500 proved that Grace Baptist Church is definitely involved in the Great Commission. We'll need to trust in the Lord's power and this is where missionaries come in because missionaries can take the gospel to places that you and I will never get to. They can go on our behalf. That's why we need to support missions. Now look over here on this wall here. We want to reach the world through missions. Faith promise missions bring God's blessings. You see the words get involved today. Are you involved in faith promise missions? You say, what does that mean, Pastor? I mean this. You come to church. You sit down. You get blessed. You hear singing. Great singing, too, by the way. You hear, I think, the best choir in Canada. You you get preaching, Bible teaching. You get an opportunity to give an offering to God. We give our tithes to God. That's 10% of our income. you got to be a bit committed, committed. Christian, to give 10% of your income to God, right? Did you know that a lot of the communists will far, far outdo a lot of Christians? A lot of them are giving more than 30% to help communism spread its evil message around the world. And here we are, some of us bemoaning to give God 10%. But after we give 10%, we have an opportunity now to give a bit more to support faith, promise, missions. You get missionaries out there around the world. You say, is that even possible? Won't we go bankrupt? No, we won't go bankrupt. We've got God as our bank. And God has promised us if we will do this, he will look after us. Hey, I've been tithing for 45 years now. 45 years I've been giving 10% of my income to God. Oh, yeah, what's happened? God's blessed me, met all my needs and more. I've been giving faith promise above that. Well, what's happened? God's blessed me for it. And given me more because of it. You do it by faith. And God is no man's debtor. But that's where faith promise comes in. And we do it by faith. And we do it regular. Be it every week. Every two weeks. Every month. Whatever it is. You give a certain amount. And that money then is collected. And it's from that money that we can take on the support of more missionaries. Currently, we support 81 missionaries, but we have enough money. We could take on another 30 missionaries. And I believe that God is going to give those missionaries to us this year. Be ready, folks. Some of you have not adopted a missionary. You will have the opportunity. Some of you have adopted one missionary. You'll have the opportunity to adopt a second missionary. Don't let the opportunity pass by you. Listen, how precious, how important is missions to the heart of God? If we could get in an airplane and go up to heaven or a rocket ship or something and get off and see God and bow and worship Him and then ask Him this question, God, really, truly, give it to me straight. How important is this missions thing to your heart? I believe that a tear would form in God's eye because God is not willing that any should perish. Every human being is made in the likeness and image of God. Now, they don't all behave that way, do they? They don't all display the goodness of God. A lot of them display the the evil of the devil. But in essence, they've been made in his likeness and image. And they are a living soul. And they'll live forever and ever and ever. And God is not willing that any should die and go to hell forever and ever and ever. He's not willing. He doesn't want that. And yet men stubbornly refuse. And they end up in hell. I believe that God could use as many missionaries as possible. God could use as many godly Christians on their knees as possible. God really, truly, give it to me straight. How important is missions to you? And I think that Jesus would weep. I believe that to forsake missions is to forsake part of our church family. You see, missions is a member of our church family, just like mom and dad and brother and sister are members of an earthly family. Missions are a a member, an important member of our family. I think that it's hypocritical for a Christian to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I think it's hypocritical for a Christian to pray those words if he or she is not doing something to help bring about the kingdom of God on earth. How can we pray words like that and not mean them? I believe that it's by his power that this can happen. Missions is a member of our church family, just like mom and dad and the kids of an earthly family. In Psalm 127, it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Happy is the church that hath their quiver full of missionaries. Let's get serious, serious about missionaries more than ever before in our history. I believe that our church is something like a marriage. The pastor is something like the husband. The church people are something like the wife. And together, husband and wife, we produce children. Pastor and church people produce ministries. Proverbs 11.29 says, He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. That's true, unfortunately, in a lot of families. Maybe dad is an ogre or mom is an overbearing beast or something like that. And before you know it, the kids are saying, I'm out of here as fast as I can. And they go to the four corners of the earth. The family dissolves, is destroyed He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. Common sense. Let's take care of the family. Let's keep the family strong. Common sense in the church. Let's keep the family strong. Missions is one of our kids. Together, we've produced four wonderful children. Our first son is our soul winner. Our soul winning ministry. Boy, he's a He's a scary one. He goes up and talks to strangers about the gospel. We've got soul winners here in our church. They're part of our soul winning ministry. That's our first child. Our second child, well, he's adopted. He's the bus ministry. That's the adopted ones, right? The third, the third child, he's the educated one. He's the Bible college. We have a Bible college, a full-time Bible college. as one of our kids, our church ministries. And then you see we have a fourth kid. He's the missionary boy. This guy has got a vision to reach the whole world. He's got the desire in his heart to run to worlds and places unknown and take the gospel of Jesus Christ there. But now as the parents, the pastor and the people, we're the parents of the kids. Are we troubling our own house? Are we being too hard on our kids? You know, are we looking at our missionary kid and we're saying, you know, that missionary kid is costing us a lot of money. He never did want to live at home. He always wants to take off and go someplace with the gospel. Let's get rid of him. Let's stop supporting all these missionaries. Look at all the money we'd save. What a horrible thought, eh? How about our Bible college kid, the educated one? Oh, Mr. Know-it-all. Oh, he's got a little Bible knowledge. Now he thinks that he's smart. Oh, I never could stand that kid. Why don't we just cut the, cut the tail off the dog here? Why don't we just get rid of this Bible college? Look at all the money it costs us. There's two kids. He that troubleth his own house shall inherit the wind. There's two of our kids gone. Boy, aren't we proud. And of course, our bus kid, the adopted one. Well, he never was one of ours anyhow. And he makes a lot of noise. And he just runs around costing money. Let's cut off the bus ministry. We'll save a lot of trouble. We'll save a lot of money. There's three of our kids gone. Well, then there's the last kid. He's the soul winner. He's scary. He goes up to strangers and talks to them. That kind of makes me feel kind of uneasy. Kid, I wish you'd sort of find another home or go out and live on your own. And before you know it, we're empty nesters. We got no kids. The house is hollow. Who wants a house like that? We need our kids. And our missionary kid is so vital. He's the one that's taking the gospel around the world for us. You see, as parents, how important our kids are. Our missionary kid. Hey, are you supporting your missionary kid? Are you really? Are you praying? Are you putting in a little extra money to missions? Are you doing it? I sure hope so. Because if we were to ask God, God, how precious, how important are missionaries to you, to your heart? Give it to me straight. God would tell you. That's my heart. My own son, Jesus, was a missionary. He left heaven and went to a place called earth. And while he was on earth, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned once, never had a bad thought. Never let his eyes wander where they shouldn't go. Never said an unkind word. Never cussed. Then he died on the cross for all the sins of all the people. Dead, buried, but rose again the third day. Yes, my son, the missionary, Jesus Christ. That's how important missions is to the heart of the Father. You know, the Bible says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. The Bible says, Behold, the righteous shall be recompensed in the earth. If you really want to know the heartbeat of God, get involved with missions. Now, listen, I'm done. And I want to ask you this. You who've adopted missionaries, would you come and pray for your missionary today? You've promised God you raised your hand and you promised God you would pray for your missionary. Would you start today and come on the invitation? And if you possibly can get on your knees, do so. And pray. For your missionary. And pray that God protects your missionary. Physically. Emotionally. Mentally. Spiritually. Pray that God uh, keeps the missionary from temptation and sin. Pray that God enables the missionary to blend into the culture of the people he's trying to reach. Pray that the missionary will have spiritual power. And be able to bring forth fruit unto God. And see souls saved. And, and uh, lives changed. And churches started. Would you pray for your missionary and pray for your missionary's wife and pray for the missionary's kids. Sometimes we forget they have kids and the kids have needs too. Would you pray today for your missionary? Listen, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, you need to meet the savior today. And you can do that. If you'll pray from your heart, if you'll confess your sin, believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you will be saved. Good to know. Let's stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer together. And I want to invite you now to come. Bring your missionary booklet with you. Maybe mom and dad ought to come together. Oh, it's great when families come on the invitation.